Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, it... It is the 4th of July weekend, and yesterday in Mexico, uh, AMLO was, was uh, elected president. A, uh, he, is, uh, he is not the Hugo Chavez of Mexico. He is the Bernie Sanders of Mexico and campaigned on free education for all, expanding health care. I mean, just the, basically Bernie's agenda, the agenda of the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, in fact, and uh, I think that's pretty amazing. Greg Palace, the uh, BBC reporter, is going to be with us in the second hour of our program to uh, fill us in in a lot of detail. In our third hour, Alicia Pariah is going to be with us. She is the uh, co-lead organizer at Occupy ICE Portland here. Uh, she'll be in studio. But for our first hour, uh, and, and we're going to, this, all, this whole week, we're going to kind of do an anything goes 4th of July week. You know, it's, uh, you don't, when, if you call in, you don't have to be on topic. But for our first hour, Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He uh, represents California's 17th District. He is the uh, uh, vice chair, as I recall, of the, of the uh, Congressional Progressive uh, Caucus. Do I have that right, Congressman? You do. It's yeah. good to be back on. Number two guy. Great to have you with us. And uh, I should add, you can be tweeted at Rep. Ro, R-O, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A, and the website, Khanna.house.gov, and you're with us for the hour, taking calls from our listeners. 
So uh, first of all, I'm curious your thoughts on what happened in Mexico over the weekend. I think it shows there's a uh, a hunger and a need for uh, bold politics uh, dealing with massive uh, income inequality. Uh, and you had someone campaigning, uh, as you put it, on uh, free public education, on health care, on jobs, uh, on policies that are going to help uh, working class families. Uh, and it's no surprise that that uh, won. It's no surprise that uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez beat uh, Joe Crowley and uh, on a on a similar platform. I mean, I think uh, what's surprising is that pundits uh, uh, haven't realized that uh, a politics which is talking about really helping working families uh, is also uh, electorally successful. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. By the way, our, our number uh, is is two o two. Boy, our camera got moved. Any, <laughs> I don't have the number in front of me. Anyhow, uh, Congressman, what what what's at the top of your mind today. If, uh, as I, I just want to talk with you, with you for a minute or two as, oh, the lines are starting to fill up. We'll be ready to take calls in just a second, but wanted to get them on the line and figure out who's calling from where and all that kind of thing. But what's, what's, what's you know, what's on your mind? Well, the, the two things are, uh, on, on my mind, uh, the first is, of course, uh, uh, the, the immigration situation. I mean, before we recessed, uh, we had vote after vote in Congress, not a single vote um, to deal with uh, family reunification, and when you have ICE agents themselves coming out and saying that the agency uh, has made our country less safe because Donald Trump uh, has pursued a policy of uh, criminalizing mothers with young kids in an inhumane way and diverting all the resources to that uh, instead of uh, actually dealing with drug trafficking or terrorism, uh, it, it's... Uh, appalling to me that we uh, aren't being able to make, make the argument in the case that actually uh, replacing ICE going back to what we had uh, since uh, 2002 and before uh, is not just more humane, it's actually uh, more in the interests of the United States. And there's and a this reason Bernie Sanders voted against ICE in 2002. So I think we, when we get back to Congress, we need to make uh, the case why we need the Justice Department to have oversight uh, over, uh, over the border uh, and uh, detentions, uh, why that's uh, consistent with our Constitution and why it's going to uh, actually secure the border uh, because you're going to allow the enforcement agency, the separate enforcement agency, to deal with drug trafficking and terrorism. So I think, of course, the whole immigration issue uh, has been uh, on my mind. Uh, and then, you know, I think uh, seeing Ocasio, uh, as, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win uh, has been quite extraordinary. Uh, she, you know, ran this grassroots campaign. Uh, she ran on a platform of Medicare for All, uh, free public college, uh, and a lot of the platform of Bernie Sanders. Uh, the biggest thing is, though, she was outspent 10 to 1, uh, but uh, one through grassroots organizing, uh, both knocking on doors and on social media. And I think that new way of campaigning is something that's going to lead uh, to a lot more progressives winning. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And the on the ICE thing, it was, uh, as I recall, 19 out of 23 senior uh, management officials. Like the, you know, the, the, this is the, the the second top, you know, short of the of the, uh, you know, Kirsten Nielsen, the boss, uh, or I guess there would be one step below that because for ICE. But this 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 was the majority, the vast majority of the senior leadership of ICE wrote a letter to the president saying this is wrong. That this uh, should that we should be divided into at least two agencies, one for the border, and you know, because this domestic stuff is going on. Do I, do I am I recalling that correctly? You're, you're absolutely right, and I think this is where I think the Democrats have to get out and in front of it. I mean, we've, we're we can't be timid, and then the president goes and tweets out saying, you know, Democrats don't believe in uh, in, in in securing the borders, and that's just actually not true. The Democrats believe in what we were doing since 1933, which is securing the borders, consistent with our constitutional values. You know, we did have a declaration of independence saying uh, every person, every human being has inalienable rights, and those rights extend to people, whether they're in the United States or around the world. Those are that's the, you know, the basic concept of the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, we, ha we used to honor those rights under the Justice Department. It was after, uh, under George W. Bush, that uh, this department was taken outside the Justice Department it was combined uh, with the uh, enforcement function of actually dealing with terrorism or narcotics. And what those ICE agents said is uh, Donald Trump has taken all the resources away from 
dealing with real terrorists or narcotics or trafficking coming over the border because he is focused on going after people uh, who are uh, mothers or kids coming from Honduras or Guatemala. He's even going after Sessions, he's even going after naturalized citizens who may have had uh, mistakes in their paperwork. And we ought to say that Donald Trump is making this country less safe, that if you really believe that the threat to the United States is the mom coming from Guatemala or Honduras who's got a two-year-old, and that's where you want your resources going, uh, fine. Uh, so then you, you'll be for the president's policies. But if you believe that the uh, place that we should be putting our resources are to deal with uh, trafficking and terrorism, uh, then Trump's policies are actually making us less safe. Yeah, it's remarkable. Our telephone number, 202-808-9925, but uh, literally every single line is full. Congressman, we are, uh, let, let's take some phone calls here. Uh, George in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Rokana. Thanks, Tom. Um, I understand that your colleague, Maxine Waters, is the ranking Democrat on the House Finance Committee, and that if and when, hopefully, the Democrats take the House in November, She'll become the chairman, and as chairman of the Finance Committee, she'll be able to subpoena Trump's records and his tax returns, and we can finally get this stuff out in the open. Is that a possibility that you see uh, for the future? I do. I mean, I think Maxine Waters has been uh, on policy very, very strong uh, in, one, standing up uh, to Wall Street. Uh, she has opposed uh, all of the efforts to uh, weaken uh, Dodd-Frank, uh, and has been a strong voice for consumer protection. I also know that she is uh, outspoken uh, against the president uh, and is going to do everything to get to the truth. And so uh, she and, and many other uh, committee chairs, not just on the Finance Committee, but government oversight, judiciary, uh, would have subpoena power uh, when we hopefully take back Congress, which is why taking back Congress is so important. Marta in uh, Big Bear Lake, California. You're on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna. Yes, Congressman Khanna. I wonder if uh, we will continue, the U.S. will continue its long pattern of helping to over, working with right-wing forces throughout Latin America to overturn democratically elected progressive leaders in, you know, Honduras, Nicaragua, Chile, uh, throughout Latin America. And do we need to be prepared to help defend the, the new leader in Mexico from the right-wing forces? Even in Venezuela, um, Hugo Chavez was democratically elected. And as much as he helped the poor, then the, the right-wing elite uh, sought to, you know, uh, overturn him through a coup in the U.S. helped with that. So what can we do to prevent this kind of thing? Well, I appreciate you bringing this up, and uh, if I could connect it in part uh, uh, to the uh, the situation at the border. I mean, uh, it, it is we put military bases, as you're well aware, in Honduras. Uh, we supported uh, a brutal military action in in Guatemala. Uh, we have uh, had policies that have not uh, been humane in the structural adjustment programs that we've asked uh, some of these countries uh, to adopt through the World Bank, where they have uh, basically been forced to neglect uh, 50% of their agricultural population uh, at the uh, in favor just the industrial population, and that has led to uh, massive poverty. And so, as uh, you know, some scholars have put it, you have basically unnatural migration. People are leaving desperate situations, uh, but the reason for that is an incorrect foreign policy born of the Cold War and a lack of uh, focus on economic jobs and development policies and the structural adjustment policies of the World Bank and IMF. And so uh, I, I think what the, what the United States needs to do uh, is, one, uh, not intervene in democratically elected regimes and certainly not be supporting regimes that are violating human rights. And second, uh, encourage policies uh, that actually support economic development in these areas. Uh, and I, I certainly hope we will partner with the Mexican president, newly elected Mexican president, to have real economic development policies uh, yeah. Answer is the Tom Hartman program. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Ro Khanna right after this. And welcome back, JP in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, watching us on YouTube, JP, you're on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna. Hi, Congressman Tom. Uh, very nice to talk to both of you. 
Um, uh, I guess it, it is a question, but what what can we do to further uh, these Ocasio Cortez like victories? Because um, you know, Tom, I, I love your show. I, I watch or I listen every single day as much as I can. But I'd like to lovingly wag my finger at you because you know, even the day after the election, you still couldn't you know didn't really know. Uh, her name, and you know, she had been out there a little bit, and it's just really hard to get the recognition to these really great candidates, um, like Brent Welder, uh, that's coming up in Kansas against Kevin Yoder, etc. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, how how can we further these? Well, I, uh, I I'm supporting uh, Brent Welder. I think he's he's terrific. Uh, you know what happened in in, in the case with uh, Alexandria? In my case. I didn't know who she was. Like many uh, uh, members, I was first for Crowley, and then I had all these people tweeting at me saying, you've got to look at this video. And I uh, looked at the video and uh, uh, reached out to her and ended up uh, uh, supporting her a few weeks before the election. I uh, was the only only member, but it wasn't because uh, I um, you know, had that foresight. It's because a lot of people in the grassroots brought her candidacy uh, to my attention. And so that shows, I think, the power uh, today that uh, the grassroots has. I think if it's not uh, Washington that's going to uh, find these uh, new candidates of change, it's the grassroots, and ultimately uh, they can bring those candidates to our attention. And there are a number of others like her running across the country. I, I've said this is going to be like the Watergate class, this new class. It's a very impressive group of uh, new members. CJ, we have a minute and 20 seconds in Florida watching Free Speech TV. Got a quick, quick question for Congressman Khanna? Uh, yes, this has to do with the critical nature of taking over the Senate. Uh, is it uh, is it my assumption that if the Democrats take the Senate, they can put a new leader in who can do away with the 60-vote threshold and do that for every piece of legislation so that going forward we can begin to turn around this right-wing corporate coup that's been going on for 30 years? I'm not sure Schumer. I'm not sure Schumer would do it, but we need a fire-breathing Democrat to lead the Senate. Okay. I agree with you. I think the 60-foot filibuster proof um, it makes it very hard to have true progressive policies uh, passed. My understanding is that the reports that Schumer has promised that he wouldn't get rid of the filibuster. I don't think that's a good position for the Democrats to take. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, obviously you're in the House, he's in the Senate, but uh, do you think that he's under a lot of pressure or are they just kind of sitting back and going, well, whatever he wants? I, I think there, he's an institutionalist and, and I think that there's a sense of, you know, this is how the Senate works and the Senate is a deliberative body. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there's anger uh, in, in, in the country, anger at the massive inequality. There's a desire for bold uh, changes. And I uh, I think the, you know, the, the, there yeah. needs to be more of a recognition of what people uh, desperately want uh, in the country, and they're great. not going to be for incremental can, Just, Just step right Can you hear that music right now? I can. You can. Great. Okay. We got it fixed. Thank you. We'll be right back with Congressman Rokana. Welcome back, Congressman Rokana. With us, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and representing, of course, the 17th District of California. On the line, taking your calls for the hour. Guy in Apple Great. Valley, California, you're on the air with Con Congressman Rokana. Hello, Tom. Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Tom, my, my, I'd like to just preface my comments uh, real quickly. I, I, I still maybe naively believe that most members of Congress are elected and intend to do the best job they can. My comment is, I think Congress is absolutely worthless at this point. I think we have no chance of Congress representing the people that elect them until we can have full campaign finance reform, until we can have reasonable redistricting. Until that happens, I don't think any laws that are passed are worth a damn. Congressman? I certainly agree that we need uh, major campaign finance reform. I started a uh, no PAC caucus where uh, there's seven of us right now who don't take PAC or lobbyist money where they're going to be more uh, who are running uh, across this country on uh, that platform. So there's some change. I think uh, long term, the Russ Feingold and I uh, have a, a proposal called Democracy Dollars, which would say that every citizen should get $50 to spend on elections, uh, the House, the Senate, or the President, and that should uh, replace the uh, private money. So you need something, I think, uh, that uh, dramatic uh, to get the special interest money out. 
Uh, the only final thing I say is uh, we, we can't be uh, that cynical that nothing can get done until we get uh, the bold change. I mean, we have had progress. More people are on uh, Medicare for all uh, today. I mean, uh, all, the majority of the House caucus, uh, when Bernie Sanders started his campaign, there were probably two or three, four people on that. So uh, there is a growing consensus for progressive politics. Uh, and if we win the House, I expect that we will uh, be able to pass some of those, at least through the House, uh, and ultimately when we get the president uh, to help make them law. Has there been any discussion at all about uh, campaign finance reform legislation that includes court stripping provisions, you know, in, invoking Article 3, Section 2 of the uh, Constitution that says that Congress can create exceptions to review by the Supreme Court? I think the last time this happened was uh, one of Tom Daschle's farm bills that had a sentence in it that said this legislation is not subject to review by the Supreme Court. Well, that's interesting. I'm, I, I'm not aware of that. Uh, I will... Uh look into that. I, not to my knowledge. I mean, it certainly isn't in the Sarbanes bill. Uh, that's our main campaign finance bill, and it's not in the uh, Feingold or my proposal. Uh, we, we've tried to actually work around this court and say, how can we be uh, constitutional under Citizens United? But if there's a way uh, to uh, avoid court review, uh, that's worth looking into. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's right here in the Constitution. I'll read it to you. This is Article 3, Section 2, uh, Paragraph 2. Uh, they define the you know what the Supreme Court can do, and they start out by saying you know ambassadors, public uh, you know, and battles between the states, and then they say in all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact, with such exceptions, and exceptions is capitalized, and under such regulations, and regulations is capitalized as the Congress shall make. And uh, in Federalist 78, uh, Hamilton goes, and in 81 also, Hamilton goes off on long rants about how the Supreme Court will never. Uh, successfully challenge uh, Congress and things like that. I think we just missed our break here. Um, uh, Congressman, we'll be back with, with we'll be back with more of Rokana in just a moment. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush, or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth electric toothbrushes. Uh, or if you've never used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. Welcome back. We are back with Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents the state of California's district, uh, what is it, uh, 17. And yes. Uh, yes, sir, you're still with us. Okay. Yes, 17th District. Great. Uh, Bruce, and, and my apologies, I didn't hear the music last time, but we've got this fixed now. Bruce in San Jose, California, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Yeah, hello. I'm, uh, I'm next door. I'm uh, in Zoroquin's district. Anyway, I wanted to know um, what the congressman is going to do about the Trump administration's plan to um, basically decimate the Section 8 uh, programs. And uh, especially this affects uh, seniors and disabled and basically everyone else who uh, basically would be out on the street um, if not for this program, because a lot of us are on fixed incomes. And I'll take his answer. Well, Bruce, I uh, appreciate your raising it. Uh, the, you're absolutely right that HUD is looking to actually uh, reduce and in some cases decimate Section 8, which is basically a uh, a voucher that allows uh, for people to uh, afford uh, rent and afford housing. Uh, and uh, if anything, what we need to be doing is expanding uh, HUD's program, uh, especially as you're in San Jose. You know, in our uh, area, 
uh, teachers, nurses, seniors can't afford to live there. They can't afford rent. They can't afford uh, housing. Uh, we need to build more affordable housing. Uh, we need to expand uh, HUD's uh, ability in helping Americans uh, afford rent. Uh, and uh, HUD's doing the exact opposite. So Zoe, uh, who's your congressperson, myself, and uh, frankly, every Democrat, not just progressive Democrats, uh, are standing up to the HUD cuts. That's great. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Congressman Tom, thank you very much. You had me listening on Thursday, so I started doing some homework on what is it, Section 3, Article 3 of the Constitution, but I digress. Congressman, I really appreciate your uh, coming on the show as frequently as you do and making yourself accessible. Uh, we're so blessed here in the 17th District. That being said, um, I wondered if you had a chance to take a look at Josh Harder, 10th District. I think he's an alumnus of Veritas and Stanford as well. It's uh, been adjudicated, I guess, that he's going to be running against Jeff Denham in the 10th District. Pocan, uh, Congressman Pocan has been very assertive in going outside of his district. I think we have a really good chance of taking that seat. That being said, and I'll let you go, I'd wondered if you'd consider, as vice chair of the Progressive Democratic Caucus, of uh, taking over for uh, Keith. Keith has uh, said that he wants to run for Attorney General of Minnesota. I think you're ready to move up, sir. I would suggest you consider it. I wouldn't even put you past the uh, presidency in the future if you keep it up. Thank you. I, I appreciate uh, the call and uh, from, from my home district. A couple of things. I, look, I think we've got two great people, actually, in the Progressive Caucus, uh, Mark Pocan and uh, Pramila Jayapal. And I, I think the world of uh, uh, both of them and Pramila, uh, also from Seattle, uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, supporting her. And I, I'm actually uh, encouraging, maybe I could just do this openly, uh, Mark uh, to run uh, for a leadership position uh, in the House. Uh, I think it's so important. Uh, you know, I know Barbara Lee is considering it. I, I really think it's important uh, that we have uh, leaders uh, in the House, the top three or four positions uh, from progressive the, from the Progressive Caucus. Uh, so that's my my interest. I'm a policy person. I will continue to do a lot of policy work, uh, but I, I want to make sure one of them uh, emerges as a leader in the House. On Josh Harder, I think he's uh, terrific. We have to win that seat in Denham and. Uh, I will. Uh, I've met him. I've introduced him to some folks, and I'm going to continue to help him. Great, uh, Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. You're on the Earth, Congressman O'Connor. Uh, yes, hello, uh, Tom, and hello, Congressman Rokana. I want to talk about the recent uh, tweet by uh, uh, former Congressman Ron Paul. Uh, he was um, he placed third in the 2012 Republican primary. And he just recently retweeted some uh, the most racist white supremacist tweet I've ever seen, depicting an anti-black, anti-Latino, anti-Asian, anti-Jewish uh, cartoon uh, about cultural Marxism. That, that's what the caption says on it, and um, also with a uh, racist uh, cartoonist named Ben Garrison. And my question is, um, is it fair to say that the Republican Party is a white supremacist party? I'll take my answer off the air. Well, that's certainly a, a tweet uh, that is uh, that is racist if he's linking uh, people's ethnicity to ideology. You know, I, let me answer this with an op-ed that Keith Ellison and I just did about a week ago in the Mercury News, and we traced the history of the 1965 uh, Immigration Act, uh, which was part of the Civil Rights Movement. And here was the irony. You know who pushed for family reunification back in 1965? It was actually the nativist uh, politicians in the House who said, if we're going to open up our borders to people from Asia and Africa and Mexico, uh, we need to make sure that we don't dilute uh, the European uh, character of America. And so we want Europeans here to be able to bring their families. Uh, and, of course, now that we have uh, more family reunification from uh, Asian Americans or Latino Americans, uh, these same politicians are uh, or same ideology is opposed to it. So I do think there is a move in this country uh, that is very, very concerned about the demographic changes. Of course, they, that uh, view is totally un-American, as our uh, country is one founded on uh, ideals and not uh, blood or religion, uh, and that's what uh, so much of the fight uh, in Congress is, is about. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Rokana. Thank you, Tom. Uh, my uh, comment is more a comment than a question, and it, it, I don't think anybody listening will disagree with what I have to say, and it's what the Democrats will be expected to do uh, whenever 
They take control of Congress again, and that is to aggressively pursue a, pro- a progressive agenda. And I mean, uh, really go at it. And if the idea of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer is to have, uh, you know, kind of a pajama party pillow fight uh, with marshmallows, that's not going to be good enough. Because let's look at one thing: if the Democrats, for the Democrats to regain, regain control of Congress, they will have to turn out in ten percent numbers more than the Republicans in that to regain the House. That's a huge turnout, which means you cannot disappoint a large crowd. You have to be willing to go out there and kick their butts. Because what has happened to the United States of America is it's become a, essentially a storefront for the corporations and the billionaires. It's not a nation anymore. If you want it to be a nation, you've got to stand up and kick their asses, because that's what the Democrats want. And that's the appeal of Donald Trump on the other side. As big a jerk as he is, his appeal for them is he fights. He fights back. Yeah. And that's what you're going to be expected to do. Congressman, uh, you know, are, is the Democratic Party haunted by Harry Truman's comment in 1947 that um, if uh, that the American public, when presented with a choice between a Republican or a Democrat who votes like a Republican, will choose the Republican, the real Republican every time? Well, I, I think we should uh, listen to that advice. I mean, I agree with the caller that, uh, you know, we need to have a bold agenda because we've got big problems. Look, income inequality is b- worse now uh, than it's been perhaps since the Gilded Age. And the Gilded Age led to, in 1916, the progressive movement, and people want uh, major solutions. I mean, young people are graduating with huge debt. They they don't have a place to live. The, people's houses are being foreclosed on. They haven't had a pay raise for 20, 30 years. Uh, and Trump came and offered terrible solutions, but they were uh, radical solutions. He said, well, I'm going to stop the immigrants. I'm going to stop trade. Uh, but the real solutions, which we know, is uh, Medicare for all and health care for all, making sure that people can go to public college or vocational school uh, for free, uh, that we're extending the educational opportunities, that we have a jobs program that gets people uh, good-paying jobs into a career. Uh, and I think that uh, you're absolutely right that the incrementalist policies uh, aren't going to inspire. We should probably look not just at Harry Truman, but FDR, uh, who in 1936, when he won a landslide victory, didn't win as a Democrat. He ran on a New Deal. I mean, he was a Democrat, but he built a New Deal progressive coalition uh, and reached and really ran as a New Dealer uh, on a very bold progressive agenda. And that, uh, of course, led to one of the biggest Democratic wins. Yeah, and he famously said, they hate me and I welcome their hatred. Uh, Kevin in Washington, D.C., you're on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom. How you doing? Uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, uh, I'm happy to speak with you. I got to, my question is real quick. Um, it's by chance. It, Progressives do, sorry about that, progressives do a number of them get into the uh, House of Representatives in 2018. And let's say they don't. Will it be a realistic option to have universal health care push as one of the main, main uh, policies from the Democrats that, at that time? But will it, be a, will it be a problem to get other Democrats on board, as people usually call them, establishment or corporate Democrats. I know it's going to be a battle with Republicans, but will it be a battle in a party? That's my main concern and question. Well, it has been a battle in the party, but I uh, give uh, Senator Sanders a tremendous amount of credit. I mean, he's winning that battle. Before Three years ago, uh, there may have been five, ten members of the House uh, on a Medicare for All bill. Uh, today, it's about 120 members and counting. Uh, and so the uh, the battle, at least in the House, is clearly on the side of people who are for Medicare for All. I think the battle in the Senate, when you look at the people who are going to run for president, they're all supporting Medicare for All. Uh, so I am uh, increasingly confident uh, that this is going to become a part of the standard Democratic platform, not just the Congressional Progressive Caucus platform. And a fine thing it'll be. We're talking with Congressman Ro Khanna. He represents the 17th District of California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's taking your calls for the hour. We'll be back. It's coming. Well, it is 45 minutes and a half past the hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tammy watching Free Speech TV in Vernon Hills, Illinois. You are on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi to both of you. Hi. I wish to ask a question. Is there any way that Mitch McTurtle can be sued for violating the constitutional rights of still my president, Barack Hussein Obama, for not allowing even a discussion for Merrick Garland, much less a vote? 
And my apologies to Mari for mispronouncing your name. You're on, uh, Congressman? You know, I don't know if there's uh, legal action, but it was one of the most appalling uh, uh, acts uh, in recent political uh, history where he basically stole the uh, a Supreme Court justice. And, uh, you know, we have to do everything possible uh, this time with any possible maneuver to make sure that uh, they don't get to put uh, another justice up. Uh, someone brought up to me, and I don't I haven't looked into this, in 1860 that there is actually a... Uh, Act that gives Congress the the, the ability to uh, determine how many justices there are, uh, but yeah, that's Article Three. That's Article Three, Section Two that I just read you. That's under the the exceptions and regulations. The, and in fact, the court started with five. It went to seven. It's got, it went to nine. It went back to seven. It's up to nine again. Congress defines the number of members of the court. All right, and so you know, I mean, now, I Harry, Harry Truman, we, we don't want to give. Well, we have to fight the uh, the Republicans. I don't want uh, them doing uh, anything, but I. I think it's a counter-majoritarian institution, uh, and at some point uh, you can't have uh, that kind of institution with, uh, especially when if you've had justices who were stolen on there, uh, defying the popular will. So I, I think all we need to be ready to, to understand this is a fight for political power, and we need to make sure every option is open to prevent uh, a counter-majoritarian institution from thwarting the public will. Yeah. Uh, let's see here, Susan in Lake City, Florida. Susan, we have a minute and a half to the break. You got a quick question for Congressman uh, Kyle? Actually, I have a comment. Uh, I live in northern Florida, and um, I was at a political rally for uh, Mark Van, who was running as a Democrat, but his whole conference room was full of businessmen. And I asked a question about school and uh, teachers' pay, and uh, I didn't get an answer. But he did go on and on about businesses and how he's going to fight for their rights when he goes to Tallahassee. So, Susan, you so think you, think you have, have a Democrat a who's actually a Republican? Yes. Yeah. So he's running as a Democrat. Yeah, Congressman Connor? I don't think he's going to do anything for us when he gets to Tallahassee. Well, that, that... That's disappointing. I mean, obviously, uh, teachers are some of the most underpaid uh, professionals in the country, and it, it shouldn't require political courage to say that we need to be uh, standing up to pay teachers more, supporting uh, teachers' unions, supporting uh, uh, education. Uh, I think also in business, people uh, uh, often get that uh, wrong. I mean, you can understand the abuses of the current uh, system, which has privileged the few, and say that if you really want to have... Uh, a, a free enterprise system where everyone has a, a fair shot uh, that uh, you need stronger antitrust protections, you need stronger regulation, you need to get after the, the abuses of unfettered uh, free market absolutism. And so I, I, I think Democrats don't have to pander uh, to businesses uh, to defend uh, a free enterprise. What we ought to be talking about is the excesses of the system that has led to the privileged few winning out. Rokana taking your calls for the hour, and Peter in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello, Tom. Hello, Congressman. I'm a staunch supporter of progressive and democratic values. However, can't we partly blame, as far as the Merrick Garland debacle goes, uh, our own party, in particular Harry Reid, for having blown up the filibuster and allowing, you know, things you know, to unfold in the way they did. Um, you know, I, I, I want our party to be the best it can be, and it, I, I feel we have to be honest with ourselves. I'll, I'll listen for my answer. My understanding is Harry Reid, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, had done it for lower court uh, judges, but hadn't done it uh, uh, for uh, the, uh, uh, you know, for uh, other judges, the for the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. Yeah, you you're, you're right on that. It was Mitch McConnell who blew up the filibuster for the Supreme yeah. Court. So are you saying that we should have just uh, pushed for it uh, regardless and uh, not required the 60 votes and, and we could have tried to get the hearing? I mean, is that... I think, I think as, well, he's off the phone, but, but I've heard this from a number of people and, and share this opinion myself. I think that if, if uh, President Obama and, you know, and, 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 and the Democratic leadership had just gone 
totally ballistic, totally nuclear, just, you know, yelling, screaming, pounding the fists, talking about this every single day, holding news conferences. They could have broken Mitch McConnell's will on this, but they didn't. They didn't. It, it seems like they didn't even try. Yeah, and maybe I don't know if there was a complacency because we thought Hillary Clinton would win. I mean, I don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, there wasn't the sense of uh, urgency, knowing that now the balance of the court uh, uh, could fundamentally change. But I agree. Certainly, in retrospect, the, 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 they should have done a lot more uh, and and made this a, a defining issue. Yeah, Mitch in Chicago, this NWCPT. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman Kana. Um, I'm wondering what, if anything, is being done to prevent any foreign governments meddling in our election. Again, it makes me very nervous come November. Uh, I I am not uh, can't assure you that uh, anything is being done. I mean, when we said let's have a bipartisan commission to look into election interference, not even looking into the Trump campaign or Russian interference, but just looking into potential interference uh, going forward, uh, that was rejected. Uh, the administration has done nothing because they think anything, uh, even hinting at that, is uh, an acknowledgement of Russian interference. Uh, so you know, we we do not have any. Uh, we're in no better shape today than we were two years ago. That's that's very unfortunate. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Warren in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman. Um, hi, uh, Tom. I uh, have uh, four um, real quick things. That uh, you have one uh, real quick thing, Warren. One question per person. What's your question? Okay, I apologize. Okay, so I was going to say that, um, that, you know, Trump is... Uh, is tough on on brown immigrants and not tough on the causes of immigration. If they wanted to solve the problem of illegal immigration without building a uh, a stupid expensive wall, why are they criminalizing the immigrants when we all know that if there was a a a, a prison sentence attached to the hiring of illegals, that it would end overnight and then the oranges would be two dollars the next day. Congressman, well, I, I I think you're right that the they go after the vulnerable, and they have not enforced with the employers. And they also haven't looked at the economic trends in, in, in some of these countries where people are fleeing uh, massive poverty and how we can help economic development there. Mm, Pamela in Marin County, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello. Hello. Hello, Congressman Kana. My name's Pamela Lyons. And for 20 years, I've had a business in, in this area of teaching people QuickBooks. Um, I'm a Microsoft certified trainer, but I'm now kind of semi-retired. And I'm developing a nonprofit, Reina Day QuickBooks, and I have the intention to teach bookkeeping skills to the Hispanic, Spanish-speaking community. And I wondered if there were anything in the state educational contacts that you could direct me to because I'm going to be developing a grant and some foundational money so we can make this happen. And I just saw you on Free Speech TV, and I don't know what district I'm in, but you, I thought you might be a good person to ask. Thank you. Well, sure. If you contact uh, my office, uh, we'll try to make uh, the introduction. You can just come to, go to our website. I'll, I'll make sure uh, we do that. But I think that the uh, a nonprofit and, and the idea uh, that you have is a is a good one that to, to try to expand uh, digital literacy and the tools of technology to, to underprivileged communities uh, that may not have those opportunities. So I'm happy uh, if you reach out to our office uh, uh, to make any introduction that could be helpful. Doug in Jamesburg, New Jersey, we have just one minute to the end of this hour. Your very quick question, please, for Congressman Khan. Congressman Khan, hi. Um, I would like to see the congressmen and the senators of our party, the Democratic Party, pounding, especially because of the Supreme Court uh, nomination, that the Democrats with 49 senators represent 60 percent of the people of this country. The Republicans only represent 40 percent of the people of this country. Thank you. You're absolutely right, factually. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, we'll make that point. We'll make that point even louder. Uh, but for McConnell, this is about power. I mean, this is about uh, a once-in-a-generation opportunity uh, to reshape uh, the court in a conservative direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, some of these folks have no shame. But we need to uh, make that uh, your point loudly, clearly, 
uh, and, uh, um, and, and not relent. Yeah, and frequently, as they say. Congressman Rokana, thank you. Congressman Rokana, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great talking with you. It's always a pleasure having you on the program. People love, love you, and they love uh, the opportunity to talk with a member of Congress. Thank you well, so much. That's my favorite program. Thanks for uh, having me uh, on. Thanks. Great talking with you. Congressman Rokana, his website, Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, as in representative rep, Ro Kana. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech. And yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com right now. Use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Our telephone number, 202-808-9925. We're doing Anything Goes 4th of July week. But let's start with Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker. His most recent video or film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. It's an absolutely brilliant democracy. Uh, excuse me, a documentary. And uh, you can uh, find the information over at gregpalace.com. You can see it on Amazon and whatnot. And his website, uh, gregpalace.com, his Twitter handle is greg underscore palace, just like mine is Tom underscore Hartman. Greg, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tom. Buenos dias. Buenos dias, senor. Como está usted? I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, <laughs> Bernie that? Sanders won in Mexico, essentially. Tell us <laughs> exactly. about it. Exactly. Uh, really, in fact, all the dual citizens I know who voted for Bernie went down, uh, went uh, back to Mexico and voted for AMLO, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Uh, he is the Bernie Sanders of Mexico in, in almost eerie parallels. Uh, and he not only won, he destroyed, he crushed, he demolished the opposition despite unbelievable and massive vote theft. He won 53% of the vote. The number two candidate got about 22% of the vote. If you can imagine, it's, uh, it really is Bernie Sanders winning and it's, it's just astonishing. So uh, how do you expect this to play out in Mexico? I mean, you know, this is like, I mean, I, I, I've, I've done this kind of thought experiment in my head. You know, what if Bernie Sanders had won the primary and became president of the United States, for example? Uh, you know, the first thing that would happen was would be obviously the Republicans would fight him, but probably a lot of Democrats, too, when he tries to do, you know, health care for all, free education for all, which is what uh, AMLO, you know, Mr. Uh, Lobrador uh, yes, he's, he's known as uh, as AMLO by everyone. Yeah. And yeah, I have to tell you, I, I've come back from Mexico and I just but I just got off the phone with the people, the journalists still down there. And they're saying everyone's just waiting. It's like the planet has changed and Bernie's in. And now what? Where do we start? And I think he said that he's going to start with uh, raising pensions, uh, reducing inequality by uh, restoring um, the, the value of uh, 
of safety net programs for the poor. This guy lived with the Mayans for six years, living just like them in, in, in their homes. I mean, he knows what poverty is. He comes from the working class, like Bernie Sanders. And uh, he was, you know, look, the, the big question that, that uh, the New York Times asked is, will he become another Hugo Chavez? And That's a stupid question. It's well, you know, I, I you know, because it, you know, because he speaks Spanish, right? Right. And well, I knew Chavez well, and I know Amlo, and I know Bernie not as well as as you do, but I can tell you, he's very much a Sanders. That is, he was a mayor of a city, just like Bernie uh, was mayor of Burlington, um, who, you know, he was a pothole progressive. He just took care of the city, and that's what made Bernie uh, popular there. Same with Amlo. He, except a little bigger city, a little tougher, called Mexico City, and he really cleaned the place up and. Through ending corruption and uh, and uh, waste, he actually was able to do massive works projects, infrastructure, doubled, literally double stacked their freeways. Um, you know, he's a can-do guy, and that's what he's going to do. And unlike Trump, he actually knows how to uh, accomplish infrastructure programs. He's shown he can do multimillion-dollar projects and end the wasteful ones. He's, I think the first act of office will be to cancel this crazy boondoggle airport in uh, Mexico City. But this is quite astonishing. And as Bernie found in California, this is Amlo's actual re-election. He, was, he won in 2006. I was down there investigating for The Guardian and Democracy Now! And he swept the vote in 2006, and they just plain stole it right from him. Daylight robbery. Hmm. But And I got to tell you, I think this is a lesson for uh, Democrats. Are you listening, Mr. Gore and, and Mrs. Clinton and John Kerry? Um, the good and great told him to just concede and go away when they stole it from him in 2006. Instead, half a million people went into the streets. He occupied the center of Mexico for many months. He never, ever conceded, and he made clean elections in Mexico his number one platform item. He said, no, I don't care what the good and great say that. I'll be seen as a sore loser, et cetera. I'm not going to give up when the people's votes are stolen. And 12 years later, he's president. What impact is this going to have on the so-called war on drugs and, and uh, all these gangs that have basically even, uh, if the news reports are right, and I'd love a reality check from you, Greg, you know this stuff better than anybody else, uh, or anybody else I know anyway, um, the, the uh, gangs basically even taking over entire cities, you know, particularly along the U.S. border. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, is, my God. You know, what, what, can, what can he do about that, and what do you think he will be able to do? Will do. Ready for, well, ready for this one. 132 politicians and candidates were murdered in this election cycle Whoa. by these drug gangs. Unfortunately, many of them conducted the assassinations at the request of the ruling parties, the two ruling parties that got crushed, the uh, PAN and the PRI. And um, a lot of these murders called for by these politicians. I'm actually very frankly uh, concerned about AMLO's own life. Um, so can he clean it up? Yeah, because you had this lockup, this horrendous lockup between drug gangs and the elected officials. So, for example, um, in, uh, in one state, the, uh, a, uh, a ruling party uh, mayor called on a gang of uh, a, a drug gang, the Guerreros Unidos, to murder 43 students, chop them up, um, dissolve their bodies in acid. Three journalists went to inv investigate. They did the same to them. You know, people have had it. And I think one of the first things is that they're electing a party which isn't owned by a drug cartel. You know, that's a big, big difference. And, and the other thing is AMLO is, while he uh, will not be owned by the drug dealers, he said, you know, this war on drugs, the different, you know, on one hand, taking bribes from them and lying from them. On the next hand, um, literally bullets flying in a war with drug dealers has got to end. The war on drugs, like in the United States, is a complete failure and it's done nothing but seize their government. People have had it. I think that that's one of the early things that's going to end is um, this militarization, militarization of the war on drugs in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the ownership of the of the parties by the drug dealers, because they're out. That's that's it's like the Democratic and Republican parties in the United States kind of Suddenly thing both lost. I mean, this guy ran, uh, you know, on a third party. I mean, that's that's just breathtaking. Um, what what is this going to, how, how, how do you see this playing out in terms of Mexico's relationship to the United States and, and uh, particularly, you know, Trump's uh, perpetual, <laughs> yeah, perpetual okay. willingness to, to, wow. to use them as a punching bag? Uh, let's put it this way. AMLO's about to publish a book called Oye Trump, Listen Trump. Mm. And um, he's called for Trump's arrest for seizing babies on the border. 
and putting them in crates. You have to understand that the current president of Mexico said nothing, you know, because they're not Mexican citizens. Uh, they are um, almost all from Central America. So the current Mexican president said nothing. Almost said, okay, they may not be our citizens, but they're citizens of the world. Arrest this orange freak for violating uh, international law. And the other thing he said is, uh, now AMLO, like Trump, is no friend of NAFTA. And here, are you ready for this one? The number one demand on Mexico by, uh, our, uh, by our NAFTA negotiator is that uh, they raise the wages of auto workers in Mexico. And um, uh, so AMLO has said, you got a deal, Mr. Trump. Let's raise the wages of auto workers in Mexico. And you know where we start? Your commerce secretary in charge of the NAFTA negotiations owns eight of those auto factories that are paying slave wages. So Wilbur you raise Ross? the wages. Yeah, Wilbur Ross. The billionaire in the, in the Trump cabinet owns a bunch of auto factories in, in Mexico? Yeah, and here's the funny thing. Wilbur Ross, his negotiating team has said number one demand on Mexico is raise the wages of auto workers. And so Amos says, fine, tell Mr. Ross to raise our wages. This oh. is going to be, this is Trump's nightmare. And also, it is hope not only for Mexico, but it shows what can be done when people say, no, you can't steal any more elections. No, you can't have a, an oligarch-owned uh, political elite. We've had it. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that this will be inspirational for I, uh, the Bernie Sanders of America. I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, finally, Greg, uh, uh, we're running out of time here. Um, it, we have Guatemalan, El Salvadoran and Honduran citizens traveling all the way through Mexico to the United States to try to get in because of the, the wars that Ronald Reagan started in those three countries. And, uh, you know, they continue to this day. There, there, there's right-wing death squads and whatnot that uh, 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 John Negroponte took down to El Salvador, or didn't take down, but, you know, he, he shows up and people start showing up with bullets in the back of their heads. Same thing happened in Iraq. Um, it, why, why is Mexico, or are they coming to the United States because Mexico is saying you can't stay in Mexico? I mean, what's the dynamic here? And, and to what extent is Mexico willing to absorb some of these people or, or become an activist with regard to the... These countries on their southern border. Well, the, uh, the the problem for the refugees fleeing the drug lords of of El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala is that by going to Mexico, they're actually at the mercy of the drug lords trying to take them across the U.S. border. So there's no sense stopping in Mexico to trade one set of gangs for another set of of drug lords and and gangs to be harassed by both and and abused, raped, murdered, enslaved by Mexican drug lords and their political allies. So if AMLO can break the drug lords, the back of the drug lords in Mexico, which by the way is what RFK and JFK tried to do in 61, you know, the year before Kennedy was That's elected, right. there had only been 17 prosecutions of organized crime and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover denied that the mafia even existed because he was being blackmailed by Traficati. The next year there were over 700 prosecutions, which is what led Traficati and Marcello to, to put out a hit on Jack Kennedy and then uh, later on Bobby. Uh, you know, how do you see this playing out, Greg? We got 45 seconds, so we hit a hard break. Okay, I, I don't see uh, any more uh, help from the Mexican uh, drug-infested, drug lord-infested government for the drug lords of Central America. This will change the whole game in North America. And, uh, you know, again, when you also say no more stolen elections, I think that that changes everything not only to the south of Mexico, but to the north. So you think this election in Mexico will have an, an impact in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras? Yeah, because you're not going to have drug lords uh, find uh, uh, succor and, um, and help and comfort in the government to the north. Yeah. Uh, you won't have that type of, of uh, terrifying enclosure. Because the drug lords are, are essentially the Koch brothers of the, of the south, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating stuff. Greg Palace. GregPalace.com is the website. If you haven't seen The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, check it out. It's really worth watching. And uh, uh, this, uh, Greg, thanks so much for being with us. Adios. Adios. <laughs> and you can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace, P-A-L-A-S-T. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Tyrone in New York City listening at SiriusXM. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Hey, Tom. How's it going now? Good. What's on your mind? That's good. I, I, um, when, when Republicans call Democrats bleeding-heart liberals, 
Uh, that is a way of telling us that we care too much about what's going on in this country and that we're not willing to do what it takes to make ourselves relevant to what we need in this country. We're not willing to make that sacrifice. How they turned on Maxine Water was disgusting. You know, this woman is speaking out against the, the injustice of this country, and we still end up like Dr. King and, and Mega Evans and what have you speak out against the wrong that this country do to the less among us. Yeah. We don't well, and, and not only, I mean, actually, Tyrone, there's something strategic about this. I don't recall outside of uh, Elizabeth Warren, who Donald Trump also uses a racial slur against calling her Pocahontas. I don't recall Donald Trump or the Republican Party, for that matter, launching a concerted attack on any white people, right? It's like if, if somebody's a minority, they're going to go after them in a big way. They are shouting out to the racist base in the Republican Party with a friggin' bullhorn, Tyrone. And I wanted to say about the about the supremacists, about white supremacists in the Republican Party. We have them in the Democratic Party. We have them in the Independent. We have them in, in, because there's a converted effort, a worldwide effort, to make sure that so-called white supremacy stay relevant in the in the world. Right. And in this country is definitely is is a, is a, is a push for that. And because we don't we we don't recognize that there are some people that like the Democrats that went over to the Republican Party and voted for Donald Trump and pushed his agenda and continue to push his agenda. A lot of that is because of the fear of, of, of white disappearance. Like they're gonna, not going to be relevant no more in, in, the, in the world. So we well, it's not just relevance, it's power. Yeah, 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 the white power, absolutely. That the white power have to stay in structure. We, um, and it's even, even people of color that, that have... That, that have seen in this country, you have had 44 out of the 45 presidents as, as white men. And they yeah. get comfortable with that, and they think this is the way the United States needs to be run. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to continue pushing that. And, and, uh, and, and Trump is, is uh, you know, he's, he's and, and, his, and, and Pence and all these guys, I mean, they're, they're just constantly using race. And then they talk about Democrats are the party of identity politics. Give me a break. The Republican Party is built on identity politics. Tyrone, brilliant comment. Thank you for the call. Ryan in Pond Eddy, New York. Hey, Ryan, you want to talk about millennials? Yeah, I'm a believer that our future, Tom, is dependent upon the millennial generation or the ongoing millennial generation. I agree. That's that age group, we'll say, between say, 16 and 31? Yeah, the two generations that I think are, are the generations that are going to save this country are the millennials and the boomers. Because, you know, the boomers were always a fair, mostly a progressive generation. And many and the retired boomers, many of them are getting radicalized by Republican efforts to destroy Social Security. And then millennials, you know, they've seen the Republican efforts to destroy, you know, education in this country and, and, and throw them into debt peonage through student loans. Um, so these two generations get it. The generations in the middle, X and Y and, you know, Z or whatever they are, but particularly X and Y, um, they're just so busy trying to make a living and raise their families that they're not even showing up to, to vote in large numbers outside of the white Republican suburbs. But I, I'm with you, Ryan. I think that that's, uh, the millennials are vital to what we're doing. I'm trying to say that it's more, it's the constant regeneration of that group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Again, you can pick your... Say your 15-year range, 16 to 31 or 18 to 33. Yeah, at that regenerating group have always, through our history, been the most intelligent, the most creative, the most fair, the most accepting, the most giving, the most conservative of any generation thereafter. When you get out, didn't they say yippies say? Don't trust it. Uh, at that time, don't trust anybody over 30. Yeah, yeah, there was Jerry Rubin. Get over 30. I, I'm, I'm like Bernie's older brother. We were born two weeks apart. Mm -hmm. We are married in the same year. Hmm. We have the same political philosophy. He's the straight and narrow brother. I'm the older errant brother. Mm -hmm. So I've had an off-course life. But, geez, from the 60s I've seen... Even the 60s when the war, it was the young folks that were 18, and I was in my late 20s, and I was watching these young people, what they had to say about what was going on morally, you know. And since then, I've always been a, a dilettante sociologist. 
So I, I, I'm trying to spread the message until that group of people get a chance to realize they have that kind of power to make the changes. I think they're realizing it. I think these kids from Parkland are, are, are creating an extraordinary example. What, what is so shocking to me, the Parkland students are doing a bus tour all across the United States. They're drawing huge crowds. They're actually you know, producing political change. And our, our media is not even covering it. Now, part of it might be, you know, because we've reached out to them a number of times and asked them to come on this program, and they never react, they never respond, which is just, you know, if you know how to get in touch with them, tell them. We would like to publicize what they're doing. And maybe that's why the big networks are ignoring them, because their PR people are, you know, incompetent. But it just, it's so, you know, surprising and disappointing to me that that, that, that is getting no coverage in the media, none whatsoever. Um, but the millennials are, are moving. They're moving forward. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us. And don't forget, in the meantime, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.